surplus contractors have a lot on their plate, hiring, bookkeeping, negotiating contracts. It can sometimes feel overwhelming, and the current job market has added to that burden. Should you hire a driver with questionable MVR? Do your drivers meet entry-level standards? Are your vehicle FMCSA and DOT compliant? By purchasing insurance through Keystone, you receive access to exclusive human resources and DOT helplines. Their legal and risk management experts will help you feel more confident in your hiring and fleet safety practices. For over 16 years, Keystone has been a valued partner to the NSTA and its members. They help you protect the children you transport and your livelihood, the business you work so hard to build. Their program is offered through its network of agents around the country who specialize in the industry. For more information, visit keystoneinsgrp.com and search for school bus contractors. With Keystone, independence works better together. And hello, welcome to NSTA, the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, and with us today is a repeat guest. We've had him on several times, had a lot of good episodes. So I'm inviting back Rich Kelly, R.C. Kelly Law Associates and NSTA Council. So Rich, welcome back to NSTA, the bus stop. And uh, thanks for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to uh, talk with you and the bus contractors. Great. Excellent. So, you know, Rich, we've, you know, over the period of a couple, two, three years now, been working on a few things with respect to, you know, school bus fleets. One of the things we work at, worked on or have been working on is the DERA program, Diesel Emissions Reduction Act. And this has been a, a program that actually predated both of us, you and me, in the NSTA portfolio. So, you know, before we get into the talk, because we're going to focus a lot of our commentary on clean school buses today, I'd like for you to kind of set the groundwork with, you know, the existing work that NSTA has done with its members, specifically on the DERA program. Yeah, I'd be happy. And, and I'll tell you, that's a real success story for uh, for NSTA. Uh, and you're right, it does predate both of our involvement with NSTA. I think that the original DEER program was unrolled by the EPA in 2010, uh, and it did have some su- subsequent modifications, the most relevant of which were making sure that contractors had access to those DEER funds. And that was a, a long ago advocacy initiative by NSTA, which was successful, successful to the point that since 2010, $4.7 million of DERA grant funds were awarded to contractors through the NSTA. And that just by itself is quite a success story. You know, the contractor members were able to apply uh, in order to replace uh, older diesel school buses with cleaner, more efficient, clean diesel school buses. And, you know, the, the contractors, the students, everybody really gets the benefit of those, those cleaner buses. So uh, we've got a got kind of a strong history with this sort of program. You know, it's I- interesting. You know, there have been talk, uh, certainly once President Biden was elected, like what would that mean for school bus fleets? And in fact, on his campaign pe- page, there was, you know, a campaign pledge to turn over the entire school bus fleet to electric vehicles by 2030. So we, you know, once 
he was elected in November of 2020, we kind of saw the writing on the wall as an organization, as NSTA. And that kind of percolated throughout 2021. And as I guess Congress got serious about passing an infrastructure bill, it kind of got folded into the massive kind of infrastructure investment and jobs act. But originally, uh, our listeners probably don't know, you know, in all those discussions, because in a, as a piece of legislation goes through the process, we, the NSTA advocacy team, are in consult with the various legislators and their staffs about, you know, various provisions in there. And, and I know that we made a pitch to, hey, you have this successful DERA program already in existence. Why don't you just latch onto that? And of course, you know, they, at the end, did not do that. And they kind of uh, developed a, a new, you know, program. But, you know, with respect to the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, and now this this new program, maybe you can give folks a little bit of understanding of how that kind of developed as this new initiative, still under EPA, but a brand new initiative outside of DERA. Yeah, and uh, you know it is you know one of those detail stories. You know the the push, the interest to have an electric school bus fleet was certainly a prime focus of of the current administration. And I know in those early stages, fortunately, NSTA members and the OEMs were part of that discussion and, and were able to kind of give them a little bit of a reality check. You know, the ability to actually turn the fleet over is not only limited by just dollars and cents, but just technology and manufacturing capacity. Uh, I know the OEMs and NSTA participated in calls and information uh, to let them know that, you know, there was only a certain number of electric school buses that could actually be manufactured in a a one-year period. Uh, And then in addition to that, there were only a limited number of electric utilities that were actually able to support the uh, charging infrastructure. So, you know, what came out of that was a little bit of a reality check, which was nice. Now, the complicating factor was, as you had noted, this really got wrapped into the infrastructure bill that passed in November of 2021. While that's great, meaning that it got passed by being put into much a, a larger bill, it also meant that it was a very, very small part of a larger bill. And I know it's really kind of strange to talk about $5 billion and say it's very small, but it was a $1.2 trillion bill. So that $5 billion is like less than 1% of the overall picture of what that they were trying to kind of shepherd through Congress. So, you know, while there was, there was lots of effort, lots of discussion, I I think that uh, some of the, some of the, I'll say receiving end uh, in Congress were really focused on some other things that uh, were, were looming larger in their mind. So, you know, what we've got is kind of what we got from a legislation standpoint. And uh, now the, the challenge is, to try to get some, you know, common sense regulations that are certainly constrained by that legislation. And, you know, if, if legislation changes are, are in the works, well, that's something that we'd be interested in, too. Yeah, and you rightly point out, you know, in, in terms of the, the big picture, that the Clean School Bus Program was just a, a piece of this. And as you point out, by, by volume, a small piece, actually, of the entire infrastructure bill, so with that, you know, with that landscape, you're right, there couldn't be that level of robust negotiations with congressional representatives. So the, the long and short of, you know, that, that preamble I'm giving there is that, you know, there were some challenges with what was passed and how 
you know, private school bus operators fit in to the landscape of the clean school bus program. So I wonder if you could just give a brief overview of, you know, the EPA clean school bus rebate program and hit on some of those highlights that, you know, we're going to find as private school bus operators to be challenging. Yeah, can definitely do that. And and as we speak, that story is still being written. Uh, as you know, there's ongoing dialogue. Environmental Protection Agency with FMCSA. But what we have currently is we've got the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that was passed in November 20, 2021, like I noted. And that allocated this $5 billion pool of money to be administered over the course of five years. In the first quarter of 2021, EPA began to draft their implementation regulations and guidance, which is basically, you know, how are we going to distribute this money? And they did look to DERA for some guidance. You know, they were pleased with uh, some of the ways that the DERA money had been distributed. Uh, and as a result, they decided that their first $500 million chunk of money that they were going to distribute was going to be distributed in a way similar to the rebate program that contractors are familiar with that is typically in the fall of every year. So the idea is a contractor can apply or or through a qualifying entity can apply to receive rebates for the replacement of diesel buses with electric buses. This application period is open currently and it's open through August 19 of 2022. Now, you know, there's no need for panic or concern because the priorities are not established by first come, first serve. They're actually established by the financial need of the school districts that are served, as well as a priority interest in electric over any sort of fossil fuel uh, alternative. So this first round is really kind of a test by the EPA. You know, they've said that they expect to adjust and change it based on this experience. And uh, but again, they are staying true to those priorities. And, you know, hopefully we, we have a rollout in this first time frame that, you know, is instructive for them. And, you know, it, it, just like uh, DERA, the very first years of the program look very different from the subsequent uh, program, you know, five or 10 years later. So in terms of the challenges, you know, immediate challenges, you know, we found a, a, a couple real areas that are going to be problematic for private school bus contractors. So why don't we talk about those challenges? And then uh, that's not enough. You, you know, you're talking about development of you know rules within EPA, but then also, you know, what efforts the NSTA advocacy team, you know, can do to alleviate these two most pressing challenges. Yeah, there's there, there's a, a couple of challenges, and and it's interesting. I think that the biggest challenge is that when you look at the legislation, and of course the regulation and EPA's actions are limited by what the legislation says. The legislation's definition of contractor doesn't actually include school bus contractors. Bizarre as that sounds, it it does include sellers of electric and alternate fuel vehicles, as well as the charging equipment, and that's really the dealers and the OEMs. It does include organizations that finance the purchase of those vehicles, whether it's banks or financing organizations, and it does improve uh, include nonprofit associations. The, the The difficult part is really how to choose your lane, so to speak. Schools, public schools, and government state entities are also eligible for these funds. And what we've seen really is that 
a contractor's best angles is to explore the course of least resistance, that is, the OEMs and the dealers, or even the schools. And, and to that end, this may end up creating some novel contract structures that address the fact that you know, these electric vehicles cost three times the cost of diesel. And while this first bus is funded by grant money, subsequent buses are not necessarily going to be funded by grant money. And to the extent that they're not, the capital component of your contact contract cost structure could conceivably make them less competitive with you know, diesel fleets in the future RFPs and future bids. I think looking at that, you've got the traditional model, contractor owns the vehicle and provides drivers, facilities, and maintenance. Uh, it may be that a, a smart way to roll is with a school owning the vehicles with the contractor providing drivers, facilities, and maintenance. You know, the, the, the programs that we have, the NSGA, the Business Council Program, uh, are available to help contractors work through those kinds of novel contract issues. But uh, the story is being written as we speak. Yeah, so, and, and folks heard me say earlier, uh, private school bus operators, that I'm purposely avoiding for the purpose of this discussion, the word contractor, because it's, as you, as you defined it, d- different than what we're, our utilization of that word traditionally um, within the organization. Now, so, so there's the difficulty of direct funds access for private school bus operators. I mean, you mentioned a couple alternatives, and there's also that element of the five-year contract service requirement in the bill. I mean, what are yeah. the options there in terms of you know, rectifying one or both of those issues for contractors? I mean, you know, is this something that can be handled in regulation or are we going to need some legislative vehicle to make these kind of changes? You know, Rich, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and uh, that's a big, big issue. And, and as you know, EPA, to their credit, has been receptive to our discussions and have hosted a couple of calls on that topic. Uh, the whole issue is that as written, the legislation require, has a five-year service requirement, meaning that a clean school bus that is funded by grants, an electric school bus, uh, is required to stay in service in that same school district for five years at least. Now, if you are a school district buying the vehicle, that may be a fairly easy commitment to make. But if you are in a contractor that has a contract with less than five years left, you may not be able to make that commitment as a practical matter. Uh, In fact, there's 14 states with statutory contract term limits for school bus contractors that are five years or less. Some of those are as little as one year. So literally, it may be impossible for a contractor to commit to putting a school bus in service in a particular school district for a period of five years. Now, if that contract requirement, the five-year requirement is not met, our discussion with the EPA indicates that they expect those grant funds would be returned. And so NSTA is really kind of working on this on two fronts. We've got an active and vigorous dialogue open with the EPA, requesting that in the event a contract is lost before the end of five years, we're asking that the EPA exercise regulatory discretion to consider a contractor to be in compliance if the electric bus is still in service as a school bus in place of a diesel bus. Candidly, I think that they are sympathetic to our problem, but I think they're also constrained by the language of the legislation. So while that would be a really great modification or a real great piece of flexibility, 
uh, it feels a little bit like a long shot request at this moment in time. The second part there is that through the BCP, the Business Council program, and through our firm, NSGA is prepared to help contractors that want to address this five-year requirement in novel ways. They may apply for the funds through the school district, or we've talked previously about having the school district be both the funds recipient and the actual vehicle owner. So again, that's an out-of-the-box structure, but it may be a practical way to proceed under the circumstances. The second issue that you mentioned is the direct fund access for contractors issue. We talked about the fact that their current definition doesn't actually include school bus contractors. It includes OEMs, dealers, and banks. Again, we've opened a dialogue on that. It may require, again, legislative changes. And we're we're not ruling out anything at this time, but uh, it's a program that's got some potential, but it's also got some hurdles. And uh, we're we're able to help contractors kind of run that gambit. Gotcha. A lot of great information, Rich. Time's running short, but you did mention the Business Council Program, and I want to make sure that folks know, especially NSTA members, about the availability of BCP to help them with things like their consideration of applicability for you know, the Clean School Bus Program. So you know, how can they get in touch with you you know, where can they find out more about BCP? Yeah, it's it's a real dialogue, and, and it's also uncharted uh, territory for even those contractors that have been school bus contractors for years and years and years. You know, their staff, their professional, their, you know, counselors, that sort of thing, haven't dealt with this program because it's brand new. So the firm is available to help with the application questions that the organization may have. That can come through just some simple consultation time through the business council program. You know, we will work with contractors in their general questions or help them with very, very specific grant drafting issues and things like that. We also, as I mentioned, expect that this is going to create some maybe novel partnerships, maybe novel contracts. And we're kind of monitoring what's happening in the industry. Uh, NSTA members can talk with the staff, the the lawyer staff here, uh, and our grants administrator for guidance, suggestions, reality checks, those sorts of things. And, you know, when when appropriate, we can be engaged to help write contracts or just kind of engage to be a sounding board for those things that you're considering or that your school perhaps has proposed. So it's a, a brave new world. And, you know, I think that we're ready to help NSTA members navigate it successfully. Great. Once again, our guest at NSTA, the bus stop, Rich Kelly. He is NSTA counsel, also president and founder of RC Kelly Law Associates. Rich, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of great information. Thanks for jumping on the podcast and look forward to, you know, you presenting out in uh, Niagara Falls. Yep. Look forward to being there and look forward to seeing all the contractors that attend. Uh, Again, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you.